Hello, I'm Carlos Braceros, Executive Director of the Utah Department of Transportation, and this is Beyond the Barrels. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is episode 23. Now, I don't know if that matters, if anybody's keeping track, or they've got a ticker of keeping track of how many episodes. I think we should give a prize for anyone who can actually remember listening to 23 of these. Or three of them, even. <laughs> Do we have a sense of what people are doing while they're listening? We don't. I, I think a lot of... We should look that up. Hopefully, you are doing it in a safe place. Um, I know that I listen back to myself um, when I'm at the gym sometimes or driving home. So hopefully, you're Pump in a safe music. place. It's, that's how I get myself psyched at the gym, as I listen to my own voice. Yeah, of course, Grant. Thanks. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm Matt Allred. I'm UDOT's internal communications manager. And next to me is my, I called you my trusty sidekick last month, but I don't think you're that trusty. So the guy that works with me, my workplace proximity associate, Grant Potter. I don't think he wants to be known as your sidekick. <laughs> Sitting next to me is this guy, Grant Potter. <laughs> and, then, and then next to me, this is uh, his third visit to the podcast, right? I think that's right. I don't know. I think it's three. Uh, our executive director, Carlos Bracera. So Carlos, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure, He's just, I know when I'm doing a good job because I get eye rolls from Carlos. And so <laughs> it's kind of fun for me to get the eye rolls. It's a, it's a badge of honor. Well, we're recording this on a Friday afternoon, Matt. You're providing me with great deal of Levity. relaxation here for at the end of the week. Good. Well, I'm glad. I know it's been a stressful week and you've been out of town. You travel a lot. I think you went to Kansas this week. I went to Kansas this week to speak to their new secretary and uh, members of her senior leadership team. And in Kansas, they have a, a, a in different states, they're, they're different Yeah, different titles, titles. Yeah. same thing. So she's your equivalent in Kansas. Yes. And so that was, that was fun. I mean, it's fun talking about transportation and what we do in Utah. And uh, they were very receptive and they were actually very appreciative of hearing about what U- UDOT does. I think I've told you this story. Um, I remember being maybe here a couple months and another DOT came in. I don't remember who it was, but they had their executives around the, the old Nord conference room and you came in and, and welcomed them because my office was right there on the backside of, of, of the Nord conference room. And I think he said, hey, we want to welcome you and thanks for coming. And before he let you start, before their executive director let you start, he said, Carlos, I just wanted to before you got going to tell you how excited we are to be here in Utah and to be talking uh, with you and your team. And I think it speaks volumes to who we are as an organization. It speaks volumes to who you are as an executive director. Um, You know your stuff. We, we know what we're doing and it, and it shows nationwide. (laughs) Matt, it's, it's really a reflection of the men and women of the department of transportation. I get a chance to speak about the great work that they do. And um, we always have to remind ourselves it's the men and women that are doing the work that really are the uh, unsung heroes. Yeah, they are. We work with some great people, and uh, I'm excited to do this every every couple of weeks and highlight some of them. So, and speaking of that, we you know we have great visitors on this podcast, and um, we do we like to highlight what people around the department are doing, and and it's rare that we get to talk to Carlos. Um, and you're, you're very generous with your time. When we ask, um, you come in, but we, we understand you're busy. And today's topic, we actually, you've got a voice of expertise here because you've been through, through the whole thing. 
Well, I think you're saying I'm old. Well, depends on how I frame my next question. So there's two anniversaries this year <laughs> in Utah, and I'm going to be really careful because the first one I actually want to talk about is it's the 110th anniversary of the Department of Transportation. Yes. This is not the one that you've been around for the whole time. <laughs> thank you, Matt. You're um, doing well. Thank you. Um, 100, 100, so tell us, tell everybody what we're celebrating when we say the 110th anniversary. Yeah, and and first of all, I was not here when we uh, when this organization was stood up, and we've been we've had various names. So you know, we were not the Utah Department of Transportation back in uh, 1909, which is uh, was really the creation of a state road commission, and the legislature felt there was now a need for the state of Utah to have an entity responsible for state transportation. And only, only. 20 years after the state's inception, right? Yeah. I mean, it shows, you know, transportation is really something that has helped glue this nation together. I mean, you look at um, our national association, AASHTO, that really was stood up in um, 1914. And that at that time in our country in 1914, we basically had a disjointed transportation system, mostly unpaved roads. Uh, going back that time. And that was really in that transition between going from horse and buggy to an automobile. Car companies were just being created and uh, we were just starting to make that transition and people were starting to be able to afford to buy an automobile. And that's really where, you know, all of most of the transportation agencies started. Well, it's amazing for me to think of how much has grown in 105 years, right? <laughs> from that horse and buggy. And now we look at our interstates and I mean, all the way up to, we talk about autonomous vehicles regularly here. And so it's, it's kind of cool to see. So we didn't start as UDOT. We weren't the Department of Transportation. You said we were the state. We were a state road commission. We were a Department of Engineering. Um, we were a Department of Roads. And then we became the Department of Transportation around the 1970s. So anniversary number one, 110 years. Uh, UDOT's 110th. It's our 11th birthday. I think that's the right way to say it, <laughs> right? 90th, 11th, I don't know. Wow. 110th anniversary. It's a good thing you're in communication. It is a good thing I'm in communication. Uh, another anniversary this year, Carlos, is the um, Golden Spike anniversary. And uh, 150 years, is that right? 150-year anniversary. I just uh, I just had a chance earlier this morning to run up a... Uh, a copy of the road signs that we're going to be putting up uh, as soon as you get off the interstate going out to where the Golden Spike event where it took place and where we're going to be celebrating it here May 10th actually a couple days leading up to May 10th uh, took a sign up to the governor's office they were so excited they they think it looks really cool Yeah, I saw it this morning that's cool yeah it is um, so 150 years there and then for us here at the department the, uh, the, the big birthday right now is the 20th anniversary of the TOC the Traffic Operations Center. So that's really what I wanted to have you in here to talk about is because you have the experience. You've been here since the inception of the TOC. So we're going to talk a little bit about the history before, why we needed the TOC, and then just kind of go through where it is and what we can expect out of it. So 1999, what was on the horizon when the TOC... <laughs> it's kind of a big deal in 99. What was happening well, at the department? There was a lot going on in 1999. When you think about it, um, we had the Olympics staring at us, you know, so 2002 in February, we were going to host the world. We were also in the middle of the first and um, at the time, the time the first and the largest, obviously, uh, design build project in this country. 
we are rebuilding I-15. So 16 miles of interstate rebuild, 136 bridges, all being done with a procurement uh, process that nobody had done in this country before. And uh, so we had that going on, and we had the rest of the Centennial Highway program. So that was really the first time the legislature in 96, 97, they increased the gas tax, they increased reg registration fees, they used general fund money, and they were bonding. And there was 41 projects plus I-15, about a $3.6 billion program of projects that this we were... Back in 99, $3.6 billion. We were doing all across the state. It took us about between 97 to 2006 to finish all of those projects, but we were right in the middle of that massive program. Man. And then, the you know, obviously the Transfic Operations Center was, was a gleam in the eye um, for years beforehand and took while, a while to develop, but we opened it... Uh, 20 years ago. So back then, I mean, what, what did traffic management look like back in 1999? Because <laughs> it's a lot different than it is today. I it, it really is. I mean, uh, when you think about it, we were, we were basically agencies. Most DOTs were agencies that planned projects. We designed them. We constructed them. And then we maintained the roadways. And this idea of actually actively operating a transportation system was not really something DOTs were part of. And really, the advent, the idea of a traffic operations center was really that first step into becoming an, an agency that operates the transportation system. Transit agencies have been operating systems for, you yeah, know, of course. for a long, long period of time. But for a DOT, all of a sudden now, we recognize the importance of actively managing. And so for us, that meant things like uh, tying together all of our traffic signals and operating them in a central area, coordinating all of those traffic signals, providing traveler information systems. So those big signs that you communication guys like to put those clever messages up on Monday morning, <laughs> uh, message Monday, message or Monday, yeah. message Monday. Yep. Yeah, guys, I have to kind of watch what these guys put he up does. there sometimes. <laughs> they get a little we cute. Are, we're fettered. They get a little cute. <laughs> They're fun. They're fun. But Carlos keeps us in check. He makes sure that we don't get in trouble with the uh, with with the federal government on well, these sides. And our general public. Yep. Uh, um, you guys always like to push it a little, and I love that. Thank you. Um, but, you know, the variable message signs, roadway weather information systems. Uh, we were putting sensors out on the road to get an idea of, you know, travel speeds and those types of things. And it was really our first step into actively managing that transportation system. But none of none of this type of stuff was happening before, really, the TOC. I mean, we're doing traffic counts and things yes. like that, I'm imagining. But, but it, as it, far as tying it all together, that's where the magic happens. It really wasn't an active part of our mission. It wasn't really something that we thought about as an organization. You know, and today we're thinking about how do we, how we operate the system all the way from planning all the way through construction. And so even through our construction projects, we're thinking about how we're going to operate, move the traffic flow through there, how we're going to inform people of what's happening in real time. You know, if you think about um, what we were doing back then and what we're talking about doing now, if you'll recall, Matt, in uh, what was it? I guess it was 2018 annual conference talk. I presented the idea of uh, top 10 things we yep. wanted to do Carlos in the next top 10. three to four years. Yeah. And I think it was number eight on that list because I, I did it 10 to 10 to one. Yep. And just like David Letterman, I'm sure everyone thought we I were, was just as funny. We loved it. We laughed. <laughs> they had to. Um. <laughs> I was not forced to laugh at his jokes. We, um, 
but number eight was be the first DOT in the country to have full-time situational awareness of yeah. our transportation system. And basically the idea is that, you know, if a car knocks down a traffic sign, we know about it. We can get out there and stand it up. Quickly. If it, quickly. If, it, yeah. if we hit a guardrail, we know about it. If traffic goes from 60 miles an hour to 10 miles an hour, we're aware of what's going on out there. That idea that we're going to be able to manage the system at a level, you know, we're doing great now. But in the next couple of years, we need to take it to the next level because at the end of the day, we're going to be doubling our population in this state in the next 35, 40 years. Pick, pick, pick yeah, a year. Yeah. It's going to happen. Um, and quite honestly, most of that's going to take place in our urbanized areas. And we just do not have the room to double the lane miles. And how are we going to maintain mobility? I think most people have heard me say our mobility is key to our economic success and our quality of life. Yeah. And so how are we going to maintain that mobility? We're going to have to better operate that transportation system. Yeah, of course. So, we, and we're pretty forward thinking on how this is, is happening now. And that goal of having, you know, situational awareness, full situational awareness on our, on our system is awesome. But it, it took planning to get to this point where we're at. And we're kind of at the forefront uh, nationwide. Are we at the forefront of, of thinking this way as far as the system's concerned? I think that, you know, that item I mentioned about full situational awareness is probably a, it's a fairly bold statement. I haven't heard any other statement, any other state or municipality say it that directly. Um, everyone recognizes that that's where we're going. Um, but in terms of operating a system, we're not we're not doing stuff that's much different than a lot of other states around this country and around the world, in fact. Operating a transportation system has become actually one of the more important things that departments of transportation do. And even when we opened the Traffic Operations Center back in 1999, it's just hard to believe how fast time goes. It yeah. doesn't feel that long ago. Um, you know, it was the state of Georgia that gave us the software that we used to actually stand up and operate that system that we have there. And uh, we made some enhancements to it, and we passed that on. I think we passed it on to Washington State or the city of Seattle. And that's what we do as state departments of transportation. We work together. We help each other be successful. And uh, we couldn't have done it without the help of our sister states. Well, and, and now it's the norm. Everybody, I'm sure, has a traffic operations center. They're tying signals together. They're looking at data and, and just... Absolutely. Yeah. So... The system is quite robust now when and when we when we think about back in 1999 and, and really wanting to have this goal of of looking at this system, what were the growing pains as we started and opened the TOC until now? What have been some of the big growing pains that we've experienced? Yeah, I don't know if I would call this a growing pain, but I would call this really the key to success. And one of the one of the areas that when I look back has really been it stands out. And if you walk into the Traffic Operations Center, you go past that first secure door and you look up on the right-hand side, there's a display case. And, and what it's showing, it's showing, might be the right or the left side, I can't remember. Um, what it's showing is the logos of all the partners that were involved in making this happen. I think it's important to recognize that no one entity can go about doing this on their own. It takes partnerships. And that was one thing that was recognized very early on. And so the partnerships between all the cities, all the counties, our metropolitan planning organizations, um, all of that had to come together. The partnership that we have with the Department of Public Safety, if, if most people may or may not know that, um, we house the Salt Lake County Dispatch Center for Highway Patrol 
at the traffic operations center. They actually sit one floor above our control room. They have access to all of our cameras, and our operators work hand-in-hand -hand with those dispatch operators and the officers in the field to help provide faster emergency services to the public out on the roadways. Uh, so all of those partnerships, I think, when I think back on it, that has really been the foundation that we've been able to build success on. And as we move forward, it's going to be continue to be important to do this. I remember when we uh, were initially approaching some of the cities and counties and talking about wanting to be able to tie state traffic signals together with county signals and city signals. In the past and in every other state in the country today, they operate all those signals separately. So you'll have state signal system, a city signal system, and a county signal system. They're not tied together. They're not operated together with the objective of really progressing traffic through a corridor. Here in Utah, we do that. We've been doing it for so long, we think it's natural, and everyone does it. When people hear about it, they're like, how do you do that? Yeah. And the public doesn't care. They don't care if they're sitting at a red light on a state signal or a city signal. They know. They don't right? even, they just don't want to sit on a red light. Of course. And so, you know, we our goal is green all the time, yep. the best we can do. Um, but that, you know, that success was important. And the, I think one of the key ways of getting there was this idea that we weren't going to say that we are want complete control over the local signals. We went to them and we said, you know what, you can have control over the state signals just as we you know, want to work with you on those local signals. And just let us know if you're going to change the timing signal. So we have great relationships with, the, with our local governments and that trust level, I think hopefully people have heard me talk about trust and how important it is. Um, that trust level between us and the local governments is really what's allowed us to be able to provide the public with a much higher level of service than we would otherwise. Well, and I, I, I think about event traffic management, specifically when we talk about the, those partnerships and how important they are. I think of leaving a University of Utah football game, and you've got a Salt Lake City police officer there at the intersection, and he has direct connection yep. to our traffic, to the TOC, yep. and he's able to say, okay, we need this light to do this right now. Yep. And what's amazing is our traffic engineers have programmed these so that if, if a certain situation happens at this light, everything else trickles out at a different speed or a different pace or a different um, um, timing so that everybody still gets off campus or out away from the event as quickly as possible. Yeah, there's so much going on behind the scenes on these events. So you mentioned the University of Utah. I would, I would mention the, uh, the BYU football games or yeah. the Stadium of Fire. It's remarkable the coordination that goes on between law enforcement, the local governments, and the Department of Transportation working hand-in-hand -hand to be able to provide that egress and egress for these uh, for these games the public doesn't know what's happening and you know quite honestly when transportation works the public doesn't know it yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> they know it's pretty good when it's not working yeah, I was but... gonna say we, we we hear about it when it's not working has anything Carlos has anything surprised you as as things that you that have happened at the TOC that you necessarily didn't expect or foresee happening that are that are kind of a good surprise hmm. that's a good question um, you know, it's, it's physically, it's completely full. I never, when we built that building, it seemed like there was so much room. And now we're busting at the seams. Yeah. And there's so much more we think we, we will be able to do and need to do out of that traffic operations center. And so a little bit of surprise about that. Um, I think the, uh, you know, I flash back a little bit to the actual Olympics and that experience. That was a, uh, it was a little surreal when it was taking place. If you can imagine, we spent 
many, many years preparing, planning, laying out the transportation system for every venue, thinking about how we're going to get people in through security, the timing to get them up to the event, and then the timing to get them out, and all, you know, all of that tied together. And uh, then 9-11 happened. Yeah. And uh, here we are, you know, what, five months before the Olympic Games, and the entire security requirements changed around it, and the entire transportation plans had to change. And the Traffic Operations Center was the nerve center for how we were running the games for transportation. And so uh, all the transportation partners were staged in our, we call it room 230, overlooking the control room. And in room 227, right across the hall, was all the security folks. And uh, you, um, we'd had a lot of meetings outside in the hallway between because um, very few people were allowed to go in there, you know. So you had FBI, Secret Service, ATF, and all housed at the TOC. All housed yeah. at the Traffic Operations Center, and you know, so all it was a surreal moment. But we could not. I, our success at the at the Olympics, in a large part, was because we had that type of facility. And I remember I, I've seen newspaper clips. I think we we had it in your video at conference last year, your intro video. Uh, little clips of the Olympics and us, somebody out there directing traffic and <laughs> orange vests. But I, you know, roads and and people being able to get around was one of the big concerns coming into the Olympics and and going out. When we surveyed people, it was it was great. It was seamless. There weren't any huge complaints. Realizing again that security had gone up and and people were willing to put up with the security. But I think overall, UDOT was was. They came out looking really, really good after the yeah, Olympics. it worked really well. I remember the first day I'm sitting at the TOC watching the traffic cameras, and there's uh, our now Senator Romney, who was head of Olympics, out there directing traffic on the way up That's for awesome. traffic up to Snow That's Basin. So, cool. so everyone was doing their part. Arles, you just talked about, uh, you mentioned cameras, and we've got a bunch of cameras across the state. It's a huge part of what we do at the TOC is we're able to, to see these traffic cameras We've got to have over a thousand, don't we? That's probably a pretty good guess, Matt. I don't know the exact number anymore. You know, at one time I knew exactly how many VMS signs, how many cameras we had. We're adding. We're just adding all the time. And uh, I don't, I've probably seen the number recently and it's just not in the brain. Well, and, and it's, it's cool because we, in our office, we watch the, the traffic cameras a lot. I know in your office, you watch them a lot. Um, we especially pay attention to the canyons. You know, during a snowstorm, we, we watch the canyons and, and watch how hard our guys work to keep those canyons clear. And especially on a snow day, it's it's amazing. I, in fact, one of our drivers told us that they average, I think it was Little Cottonwood Canyon, 23 trips a day up and down on a snow day, which is, it's incredible. But it's fun for us to watch those cameras and, and to call the TOC and, and they'll actually change cameras for us, or if there's an accident, our cameras automatically switch to where there's incidents, and they can they can check them out. So. Yeah, it's amazing to listen to members of the public that are aware, and they use our traffic app, because you can access all those cameras off the app. Every single one of them. And so many of the public will get on that app before they make a trip and look at their travel and decide when or wh and where how to get to where they need to get to. It's, it's really been a great tool, and that was really our... Our goal was twofold on this. We wanted people to know before they go. That was kind of our slogan during the Olympics. And uh, we wanted people to uh, make decisions on when and how to travel based on when, the, when there's, you know, what the traffic loads were so that they could avoid congestion and we could have less cars out on the road if we needed to. But it also gives us the ability to respond. If you watch during an incident, um, the first responders are getting information on how to access a crash scene. And uh, I know it's been able to help you know, help those first responders save lives. Get in there quick. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, and I even want to go back. You you talked about UHP or Highway Patrol has their their dispatch a floor above for Salt Lake County. Yeah, yeah. for Salt Lake County, uh, a floor above the control room at the TOC. And I've called into the TOC a couple times when there's something in the road, or um, and it it's a huge comfort for me to know that they say, okay, we'll 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 make sure dispatch knows about this. And I remember it was maybe six, eight months ago, I was up on 215 on the east side and it, right in the middle of the road, it looked like a belly dump dump truck had lost a ton of gravel. I mean, it was a lot. And it was it was pretty late at night, but it, I was able to call the TOC uh, operator and they immediately said, okay, we'll get it on camera. We'll get dispatch up there pretty quickly. And and I knew that they're they're right there in the same building. It was going to happen pretty instantaneously. So it's a good comfort for me as a as a as a member of the public to know that those guys are up up to the job. Yeah. So then once dispatch gets that, they look at the camera, and then who's the first person they call? The station supervisor out of the closest maintenance yeah, station, and those men and women are out there cleaning it up at one o'clock in the morning. Whenever, yep, whenever it needs to happen. So, Carlos, we talk a lot about. The future of transportation. You mentioned, you know, population is going to grow. The infrastructure, the 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 number of lane miles is not going to grow in proportion to how quickly the population is going to grow. So we talk about the future of what tra the transportation system needs to look like: autonomous vehicles, transit, um, more pedestrian routes, bicycles, things like that. Where does the TOC fall into that equation, and how can you see the TOC evolving to fit that sort of a of a of a system? Well, and that's a great question, Matt. So today, um, you know, we're, we're starting to talk more about mobility, person mobility. You know, obviously, we're still going to have to move freight, and we're going to still need trucks, even though we're starting to hear conversations and and see examples around the country of people moving freight, light freight, with drones. Yeah, and I think we'll see more and more of that. Uh, but I see an evolution where we start to look at the operation of the transportation system becoming much more inclusive than just the road system, but including the transit system. Now, UTA has a operations center, and you know they have full situational awareness of where all their trains are, um, and they have GPS locations on their buses. Wow. Um, so bringing together that operational focus of both the trans transit system with the road system, I think is going to be a big evolution for us in the future. And then think about how do we manage drone traffic in the sky? You know, yeah. we just can't let you fly your drone yeah, anywhere course. you want to go. Or Grant, yeah. since he just got his... Oh, that's right. Grant's now... His, his, he's, he's a piloted part license. 107, part 107 certified. Yeah, whatever that means. But Grant actually went out and flew the drone yesterday. But yeah, we, we can't just let... No. Random people fly their drones around. And I, I, I believe that we will be operating at some time in the future, probably sooner than we expect, we'll be operating a operations center for basically an air traffic control for drones. You know, obviously in coordination with the Federal Aviation Administration, um, respecting that commercial air uh, space. That airspace, yeah. But we're going to have to coordinate this because... And that's going to be all new part. And, you know, is that in the same building? Is that a new building? I don't know. Who knows? So that's, I guess I can go back to that question because right now for us to talk about that, it, it's, it's not as shocking as maybe it was a while ago. Could you have imagined 20 years ago when the Olympics were here that that would be a topic of conversation? Is no. Unmanned aircraft Absolutely. delivering packages to our front doors. Absolutely not. And it's a very real part of our future. It's, it's like I said, I mean, 
University of Utah is doing a pilot program right now of doing some deliveries within their hospital system. And uh, our division of aeronautics has been working closely with yeah, them. Jared's really on top of Jared's it. Jared's working on this. And uh, I think it's going to, I know it's going to come at us faster than we expect. And when you look around the state, well, you know, which state agency is going to be involved in this? It's the Utah Department of Transportation. Well, and it, it's exciting for us. We were hosting the big Ashto spring meeting uh, in May here up in Park City. And on day one, uh, we've got drone demonstrations and companies that are using drones to do this exact thing that are going to be um, part of the conference on, on that first day of the conference. So it's happening. It's coming. Uh, it's safe. That's what we're testing is to make sure that it is safe. Our first priority is safety. Yep. Um, and it's just something that's hopefully just going to be more of a convenience for us. So kind of cool. We, we got to have that Amazon package in one <laughs> hour instead of in two days. Hour. Hey, I'm amazed. That <laughs> now that there's an Amazon here in Salt Lake, there's a distri distribution center, you can get one day delivery. If you order it, did you know this, Grant? If you order it by like 11 o'clock in the morning, you get it that same day, which is crazy to me. But yeah, we'll get the one day and then people are going to want three hour and then eventually you're going to want it Im immediately. So Beamed into your living room. That would be perfect. Star Trek. Star Trek stuff. Any other changes that you can see happening at the TOC? I mean, I, the airspace is a big one. That's a really big one. Um, you know, we're gonna we're we know we have to start to replace the software system that really f is the backbone there, and we've been looking at um, some of the potential functionality that might come with a new software upgrade. Uh, it's a it's a big dollar number, so you know we haven't been quite ready to go hunting for that money, but. Uh, some of the potential that this uh, could offer us is this, you know, ingestion of big data and using machine, machine learning to be able to come up and predict traffic conditions uh, based on things it sees that have happened in the past. So maybe you say, you know, on days where it's cloudy and there's a football game in Provo, we expect to see a certain level of congestion in Davis County. Wow. Um, and, but certain, it matches up all these conditions that have happening. So that's the kind of thing I think is, is going to be coming at us here next three to four years. Um, but also the, the ability to watch that over 1,000 cameras simultaneously. Today, we don't have, you know, we don't have 1,000 people watching yeah, each one of, of these cameras. Yeah. It's impossible. And so, you know, but there's, you know, machines can watch every camera. And if the machines are trained to be able to detect anomalies and to be able to alert our operators that something is happening on camera 2014, whatever yeah. it might be, wherever it might be, yeah. um, you need to take, an eye, take a look at this and act on this. Uh, that's something that's possible and will be coming at us here in the next couple of years. So I think the functionality of us that the technology is going to allow us to do things that will get to that full-time situational awareness that I was talking about. Well, and we've even talked about cars communicating with the infrastructure directly too, which, which will allow better situational awareness. You know, I think of our snowplows actually do this to some degree. If there's tire slippage while they're going up the Canyon, it sends a message back to the shed that says we need more salt or the roads this cold. Um, but wouldn't it be great if an accident or a crash happens and the system immediately knows within 
a second that a crash has happened and it, and it alerts us without having to look at a camera. So yeah. it's all coming. Well, and we're doing that now with the UTA buses, both on our Redwood Road deployment of the dedicated short-range radio, talking yeah. to the traffic signals we see at the Traffic Operations Center, what's going on with those buses and that communication between the signals and the buses. And we're doing it down on the um, UVX project yeah, in, Provo. in Provo and Orem. Yeah, very cool stuff. Well, we're excited. We're um, cool stuff coming. TLC is a huge part of it. Uh, we we're happy that it's been around for 20 years, and and you know for employees that have been, haven't been here that long, we we haven't known what it's been like without it. So for us, it's like, oh yeah, of course we've got a TLC, and of course it responds quickly, and of course it dispatches uh, you, you know people when it needs to, and and it's interesting to know that yeah, it wasn't always that way, and it hasn't always been that seamless. So I'm glad they're around. Glad it's well, everything changes, and as I said, that we're in this age of accelerations. Uh, the one thing I can guarantee is change is going to be happening faster than ever before. So hold on and get ready. Get ready. Buckle up. <laughs> well, thanks, Carlos, for your time today. I know you're busy, and, and we appreciate you always coming. So usually, and Grant knows this, Grant's going to write it down for us so that we know. I don't need to write it down. Okay, He's so, here to do it himself. So every every podcast ends with, as Carlos says, would say. Yes, and you, but, you, you, but I'm Carlos. You are Carlos. So I'm not going to say, as Carlos would say. I'm just going to say, we appreciate you coming. And Carlos is going to end this by saying, put your phones down and buckle up. That's it. Be safe out there. Be safe. Thanks, guys.